Hello, this is Dr. Michael Beasley, and this is Tacky Beats, where we expand on topics from the heart failure beat and quick interviews with interesting people. Well, today on Tacky Beats, we're joined by Dr. Preeti Perlamarla. Dr. Perlamara is an assistant professor of advanced heart failure and transplant cardiology at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. We invited Dr. Perlamarla here to talk about a paper that she wrote on acc.org that was published in December of 2022. Preeti, welcome. Really excited to have this chance to talk to you today, and thanks for taking the time to meet with us. Thank you for having me. So you had published a paper that really caught my eye because I think it really resonated with me as also an early career cardiologist that got into this whole academic medicine thing not too long ago and didn't really know what was north versus south. And I thought you put together a really nice paper that could help guide us and help keep things organized for us. And it was called Academic Medicine, Demystifying the Appointment Process. Again, this was published on acc.org in December of 2022. I guess what I'd like to start off with is that, you know, not everybody who listens to our podcast are physicians, nor are they an academic institution. So how would you describe academic medicine to our audience? Sure, no problem. It was actually something that, as you mentioned, I had covered in a little bit in the article that I had written, but it often can be kind of this nebulous term of what exactly is academic medicine. And something that I had come to learn being an early career and and going through fellowship, that very broadly and generally, it's comprised of three main focuses, which include clinical service, scholarship or research activities, and an interest in a field that you are trained and interested in, and some type of teaching responsibility, whether it's with medical students, fellows, residents, etc. And it can vary based on your track and based on your position of which of those three might be emphasized more or less or or equally. But generally, a career in academic medicine is some component of those three together. Very interesting. There's some other terms out there that, you know, even those of us within academic medicine sometimes I think can be a little bit confusing and get thrown around. You make mention of some of these things in your article. So, In simple ways, I guess, how would you go about explaining these terms within academic medicine, such as appointment? In your article, it was called demystifying the appointment process. Also, promotion, you know, how is that applied in academic medicine? And then this funny word called tenure, what what does that mean? Absolutely. The best way that I can describe it or, or how I was taught in academic medicine is you enter at a certain rank that is appropriate to your level of training and your contributions to your academic field. And as you progress through your career and as you progress in terms of your clinical responsibilities, your academic pursuits or your contributions and your scholarly activity, you are promoted or advanced through the different ranks until you are at what may be the highest level. And then at some point, and this can vary based on the school or the academic field, where you may get to a point of tenure, which is a permanent commitment to you know, a school of medicine or whatever academic institution. And generally, that rank you may start is a assistant professor, which is where you have demonstrated some level of competence in, in teaching or scholarly activity. And as you accrue more 
experience, more research activities, et cetera, you then might be promoted to a rank of associate professor based on a certain academic institution's guidelines, and then further promoted to a professor. So in your paper, you give an item list of advice for people in pursuing a career in academic medicine about things that they should be mindful of early on in order to best prepare them to go through this process of what seems to be repetitive evaluation and assessment to see where they fall on this path of promotion and and moving up that ladder. You know, one of the things that you talk about is really the importance of keeping a portfolio of your achievements, and you hit on a lot of other items there as well. Would you mind kind of summarizing the advice that you have for early career heart failure cardiologists who are getting out there in their first couple of years or fellows that are in training and, and might be coming into this field? Like, what are the things they should be thinking about to be mindful of, hey, my career five 10 years down the line, I need to be ready for the promotion process. What do I need to do now to make sure I'm, I'm as ready as possible? Sure, absolutely. And to what you were saying, this article was kind of born out of, for me, the same confusion and feeling a little bit lost in the whole process. And it was kind of born out of, you know, when I was speaking with my former co-fellow, who was also an advanced heart failure attending, of how do we navigate this? We had advice from our former mentors about how to navigate this. And that's kind of how this article came to be. You know, some of the things that we came away with is to start recording things as early as possible. So it doesn't become as daunting when it comes to the point that you have to put everything together. And some of the things that I was advised to keep track of or or keep as part of your academic portfolio, and I'll, I'll kind of run through what I had learned is one is letters of recommendation, and it'll be institutionally based of how many letters of recommendation you need and from who it should come from. And so it's important to find out early and have the planning to start getting them from those respective persons that would need to write those for you. Most of us who are in heart failure are likely involved in some type of scholarly work or research. And so it's very important to not just keep a record of what research you've done, whether it's abstracts or publications, but also to make sure that you are keeping track of the impact that it has. In addition to that is the teaching portfolio, and that really is to show your impact in the teaching aspects. And that is more than just what you are teaching to the residents, fellows, medical students, and of course, everything that you do in terms of bedside teaching, development of their curricula, etc. But also what teaching that you are gaining, because it's important to show that you have a commitment to ongoing education for yourself. And that was something that I had not even thought of. And so it was a recommendation to make sure you're keeping track of what ground rounds you're attending. For some of us who are in heart failure and transplant, you know, in the transplant space, your multidisciplinary meetings that you're going to, your didactics that you're going to, because it shows that it's a commitment to your own ongoing education. And so I was advised that I should be keeping track of not only my teaching for the fellows, residents, students, but also what I'm involved in as well for myself. Wonderful, wonderful. And the last question that I have for you actually references an article that I spoke about during Heart Failure Rounds during the February episode of the Heart Failure Beat. 
And this was an article that was written by doctors uh, Nikhil Narang and Noshin Reza. And they talked about the challenges for early career faculty coming you know, out of the COVID pandemic, those of us that were in fellowship training during the onset of the COVID pandemic, how this really affected our training experience and maybe our transition to early career faculty and really how it kind of continues to affect our career even as early career faculty today. Would you have any special advice for those of us in early career, you know, about how we could take these lessons that you were able to know, so succinctly put together in your article, but apply it to this post-COVID era? I mean, first of all, that was, it was such a well-written and very powerful piece that Noshin and Nikhil had written. And it really, I think, resonated with not just me, but I know a lot of other early career heart failure attendings. I think for what I would say, in addition to what I had written about in my piece is along with the frustrations that we may have or the challenges that we may have in this post-COVID area, one of the things that I had learned was was to try to see if you can build some type of relationship with a mentor that can continue to help guide you and early on try to see if you can develop, you know, your interests or really hone in on what you might have an interest in. And that way that can help alleviate some of the stress and make the process a little bit less daunting. Wonderful. Well, Preeti, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Tacky Beats. This is a great discussion. I really hope that this information helps some either early career heart failure cardiologists out there or aspiring heart failure cardiologists out there and get us all on the right step moving forward through our academic careers. So again, thanks so much. It was great to have you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Tacky Beats. We'll catch you next time on the Heart Failure Beat. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of this podcast are their own and not necessarily those of the Heart Failure Society of America. For more information and to subscribe to the podcast, visit hfsa.org slash hfbeat. Follow HFSA on Twitter and look for us at hashtag hfbeat.